morning. I have an incredible privilege today. I get to spend some more time with you. Last time I did this, I forgot to turn the microphone on. So I think I'm up on it. Before I start, my name is Greg Cornwall. I'm a member here, for those that don't know me. Um, and I wanted to, to say uh, what an absolute privilege it was for me to listen to Bob's message last week. Amen. Um, he, he has an incredible amount of wisdom, and as a young man that has a young family, um, I really appreciate the opportunity to listen to someone like you. And I relish being a hero of faith in the way that you are a hero of faith, which is through your family. So thank you for your message last week. It, it meant a lot to me. Amen. Okay. So we're going to start today's time in a time when Jesus walked the earth. And he, he was spending time with three of his disciples. James, John, and Peter. And they were walking, walking, They were climbing up a mountain called Mount Hermon. Now, for those that like to climb or walk, this mountain is about 10,000 feet. So as a disciple, you earn the privilege of being able to pray to Jesus. This was no ordinary feat. With three disciples in tow, Jesus is making his way up Mount Hermon. And to the disciples, this is another opportunity to be able to worship with the Messiah, to be able to learn from him, to praise him. Because, as we know, he spent a very limited amount of time on earth. So for the the disciples, there was this opportunity that that they'd had before, but it was another opportunity for prayer. For Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus knew something special was about to happen. Something different to what had happened in the past. Something awesome. So they continue to climb. And they continue, reach the top, and they lay down, or kneel down, and they start to pray. And a short time in, something amazing happens. Jesus starts to glow. There's an aura around him. And the disciples obviously think something's sort of strange is going on. It's kind of a little weird. It hasn't happened before. The clouds start to gather around. Things start to rumble. And this light appears from heaven. And Jesus immediately connects with this light. Once this happens, we have two people that come out of the sky. Two people. Two spiritual people. One by the name of Moses. One by the name of Elijah. And they come down and they have a conversation with Jesus. And I had the privilege of, of researching this in quite a bit of detail. And a lot of scholars believe that there is there's an interaction that happens between the three of them. Incredibly powerful. Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are talking, it is believed, 
about a few things, but one of the most important things for Jesus is his path to crucifixion, his journey to the end. So there's this element of spiritual support that comes from these two people, or these two spirits, these two heavenly spirits. Disciples, they're there, they're watching this happen. This engagement occurs, and then a voice comes out of the sky. This is captured in Luke. The scripture will be on the screen. It's captured in Luke. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So there is a spiritual endorsement from God on Jesus at that point. This event is called the Transfiguration. It is an incredible event that occurred in Scripture. And there are multiple reasons why scholars believe that it occurred. And why each party was in that event. Obviously, Jesus is inside. We know why he's there. God has provided his spiritual confirmation on Jesus through Luke, we just saw. Moses. Moses is there, it is believed, because there's a transition that happens. We're transitioning from Moses' Ten Commandments, the laws of God, into the new covenant. So Moses is handing the baby over. He's handing the opportunity over. He's saying to Jesus, this is yours now. Take it. Go with it. And the disciples, disciples are human. So they're praying, and they're watching, they're seeing aura, they're seeing God, they're seeing voice, they're seeing clouds, they're seeing Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. The mind is blown for a human to witness that event. It left one question for me, though. As someone that likes to do a lot of research before I speak, I was confused. Why was Elijah there? What was the point? What was the point of him? We know why Moses is there. We know why Jesus is there. We know why the disciples are there. We know why God's voice came through. What was the purpose of Elijah? And that is something that I'm going to tackle today. In our Heroes of Faith journey, we're looking at Elijah. And for us to better understand the transfiguration event and Elijah's involvement in that, we need to understand exactly why he was significant to get to that. Now, before I begin with that, we need to look at the Bible. The Bible is the Word. The Bible is where it should begin, and the Bible is where it should end. So when we look at the Bible, there is a reason that Malachi is, uh, sorry, the reason that Elijah is there, and it is that he is fulfilling a prophecy from Malachi. From a scriptural perspective, it's captured here. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. So it's God's word. That's why I watched that. Sorry to disappoint you. I'm leaving right now. <laughs> that wasn't enough for me. Obviously, God's will is, but I want more. I want to understand why such an important event in 
biblical history has a man, or spiritual, a heavenly man, that confuses me. So, to better understand that, we're going to go from Elijah the spirit that was in the transfiguration and move now to Elijah the prophet to understand the man that came to earth. For me, in this process, I had to journey back to 9th century BC. A man by the name of King Ahab was in rule. He's a king of the land and he was a very, very manipulative and unkind king. And God had a concern with this. King Ahab was a, a very sinful influence on the people of Israel. So the people of Israel naturally gravitated toward him as times got tough because he was the person that they thought could solve their problems. So as people move towards Ahab, they're moving away from God, which is a problem. So God is in a position where he wants to find a solution. And Ahab, in his self-empowering way, believed in a God called Baal. Now, this is complex for me, because I worked out on Wednesday that you guys don't actually pronounce it Baal. It is Baal? Baal? We got that right? I'm going to say Baal because it's natural for me, but... It, I mean that. So I apologize if that, if that bothers anyone. So Ahab is drawing all these people away from God and into the, the arms of this Baal. So in steps Elijah. God gives this man a vision, Elijah, and says, Elijah, I need you to bring the people of Israel back to me, away from Ahab. Away from from Baal. So, as this process ensues, Elijah, being a prophet, completes 16 miracles during his life, which is pretty incredible. And the the miracles that he does he does complete are obviously in the name of, of our God. So that is his mission, essentially, is to bring the people of Israel back from King Ahab to our God. And we're going to talk a little bit in detail about a few of his miracles. And at the end, we're going to read this in the Transfiguration again and try and make some sense of all this. So, as part of Elijah's ministry, we, we learn that he's, he, he realizes through, through the word of God that, that a drought is necessary. An environmental catastrophe is necessary to bring his people, to get them a little uncomfortable. Because you know when we're in crisis is when we need to go back to God. When we get a little carried away, we need to go back to God. When we get earthly, we need to go back to God. So God did that through Elijah through a drought. And Elijah prayed for a drought. And the drought came. And there were quite a few miracles that happened during this time. And Elijah was incredibly faithful. As physically uncomfortable as it was to him, 
it was incredibly, incredibly powerful to see his faith. He was led through the desert, and he was promised by God that ravens would feed him. It was a miracle. And that, that occurred. He was, he was fed by ravens. He was also led to the house of a widow. And this is, this is kind of a strange interaction, so I'm going to spend some time doing this to capture exactly what this might have been like. So he spends some time. Goes to this, God says, you need to go to this widow. And you need to tell her that she needs to feed you for the remainder of the drought. Ended up being three years. So, <coughs> deconstruct this a little bit. <coughs> Elijah kind of walks up to this, this widow's house. He knocks on the door. And he says, paraphrasing the he says, Hi, my name's Elijah. I'm here on behalf of God. You need to feed me for three years. That's what your calling is. As a human, can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Put yourself in that shoe, in that in that place. You're sitting at home, watching football on a Sunday. Someone comes and knocks on your door. Chris Sandra chances. Say hi, Chris. My name's Greg. I'm here on behalf of Jesus. Jesus just just told me that you needed to feed me for three years. Now, if I was Chris, it's a little bit of, uh, three years, Greg. Three years. That's a long time. You're welcome to come in. You're welcome to, to stay a little while. I'm just watching the Browns lose right now. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's a bandwagon, I'm jumping on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, that calling is huge for him. And it was for this widow as well. And what makes this so much more complex is that she had a really good reason as to why she didn't want to host Elijah and feed him. And that was because she had one bag of flour and she had one jar of oil left. And she says to Elijah, I can't make that nothing left. I've got nothing left. The drought has just ruined us. It's like me turning up on Chris's doorstep and during the 416 fire saying, Chris, I need to drink all your water for the next three years. I mean, this is a step of faith here. Not just for the widow, but for Elijah as well. Imagine getting that request from God. Having to ask someone to feed you for three years. And then being put in a position where you have to ask for their last their flour and their oil. Their last jars. So the widow's credit, she took it. She took him in. She mixed the oil and the flour. And she made bread. And the very cool thing, what makes this a miracle, there's a point to that, what makes this a miracle 
is that God blessed that house for the entire three years that Elijah was there. That oil and that flour did not Elijah knew it, but that is a huge step of faith. To go to someone in the middle of a drought and say, I need your last. And there's something that we can learn from this as people. So fast forward now to where we are. We talk a lot about tithing and how tithing is so important because it's our first. I also believe that God blesses our last. If you put what you have, whatever that looks like, up to God and say, this is it. This is it. I've got to feed someone for three years. You've got to help me. There's a loaves and fishes feel right now. Jesus did exactly the same thing. You bring it in. You bring it in to him and you say, this is it. This is all I've got. It's like the, the woman that gives 10 cents to the church, her last 10 cents, and how blessed that is compared to the rich guy that gives her <coughs> <going> on. <coughs> the 10 cents is blessed. $100 note, maybe not. I'm going to give you a visual here. I like visuals. I like to break it up a little bit. I bought a sample of my own. We have oil. We have flour. Now, if I was a stupid man, I would call, call God out. And I would say, God, you did it for them. Why not for me? I'm going to tip this out of the floor and we'll see if this is never ending. We'll see what happens. We'll see if God can create that miracle again for me. That is a stupid decision on my part. I am not going to do it. Just a heads up, I'm not going to do it. And the miracle might be that if I did do it, it went all over the floor, the pastors of the church might get a vision that I need to clean it up with a toothbrush. That, that, would, be the, that would be the miracle that I'd be dealing with. The point of this is not the flour and the oil. The point of this miracle for Elijah was not the flour and the oil. It was the widow's lust. That's the point. Take it away. We're not talking about flour and oil. We are talking about the lust. <coughs> it's the most important thing in that story. So back to Elijah, he continued his journey throughout. And he's, he's doing miracles that are bringing individuals through. They're coming in smatterings. And God's getting a little impatient. And he puts, he puts this, he puts this vision on Elijah's heart that he needs to confront Ahab. Remember the king? King Ahab? The nasty, manipulative, destructive king. We need to confront Ahab. And Elijah goes to King Ahab and he says, 
and it's captured in Kings 17, I believe. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used. Oops, sorry, wrong one. Let's try that again. <clears throat> How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. So he went to Ahab and he said, We're done. Baal, this is ridiculous. Let's prove. Let's bring it home. So we have a showdown. Showdown between Baal and God, between Ahab and Elijah. It's like the, the high school fight out in the back paddock. If two big guys are about ready to show down to prove who's supreme once and for all. So they agree, and here are the terms on the showdown. They're going to climb Mount Carmel. They're going to build an altar. One altar for Baal, and one altar for God. And the prophets for each are going to pray. And whichever God lights the altar without human intervention is supreme. That is what Elijah said to Ahab. That is the confidence that Elijah had in God's work. To be able to go and step into a place where no one believes what you believe and then say, God's going to prove this, it's an incredible step. And, and what makes it even more complex is that they have the, the altars, they have everything set up, that there are 450 prophets that are praying to Baal on behalf of Ahab. So you have Elijah, and you have 450 prophets. It's like you're Elijah going out to the fight in the back paddock and you're ready to go against one person and the whole of the 10th grade turns up to beat you up. <laughs> but Elijah was confident. Elijah had faith. This was going to work. He was unfazed, which is brilliant. So, the showdown. We're ready. We've got 450 prophets. We've got Elijah. We've got God, we've got Baal. It's on. 450 prophets start. They pray. And they pray to Baal. And they pray. 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 For six hours. No. Not a thing. And it got to the point where Elijah actually started to get a little cocky. He started to get a little confident. He started to tell them that maybe they weren't, maybe Baal wasn't listening to them. And that maybe they should shout a little louder. Maybe they should start moving. But they did. They shouted a little louder and they started moving. Still no Baal. Ahab was really, really frustrated with this, really angry. But six hours is a long time for no response. The altar was still intact. There was no fire. Here's the miracle. Elijah steps up. 
It's on his knees. Says a quick prayer to God. Fire comes out of the sky. Altar lights up. And what's even cool about it is that this altar had a moat. And this moat was full of water. And the fire lit the water. According to the scripture. So it went against the natural law of water putting up fire. It's game. It's over. According to Elijah, it's over. Like this is it. This this thing's burning, this thing's not. We're in a position now where prophets believe it. Ahab's yeah, almost there. And they start, they celebrate Elijah, they celebrate God, which is a beautiful thing. And they celebrated for quite a long time. There are two miracles of the 16 that make Elijah very special. But one thing that we can take away from Elijah's life is where I'm going to go next. In his successes, and in his faith, he went to God in those successes. But he forgot what it was like to go to God after those successes. And he's about to take a tumble in a bad way. Not long after that miracle on Mount Carmel, Elijah is confronted by another prophet of God. I'm not going to go into too much detail about that, other than to say that Elijah thought it was done. Elijah thought that his race was won. Elijah thought that he had done what God wanted him to do, and then here comes another prophet of Baal that's ready to confront him again. He's like, I can't do this. I can't do it. I'm not in a position. I've, I've, I've run the biggest race that you asked me to win. Win. I've completed the, the greatest miracle that I'm capable of. What are you doing to me? And he stumbled into this significant depression to the point where he couldn't move. Point where he sat in a cave and isolated himself. It kind of reminded me a little bit of professional sports people. Here's the, here's the link. Professional sports people. They live their whole lives for a purpose. The Super Bowl, for example. They live their whole lives looking for a purpose and trying to achieve that purpose. And once they do, they lose touch of what their life's purpose is now about. We can all relate to that situation. We can all relate to that situation. It's 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 a time of of, of, of spirituality where God needs us, where we need God most in our lives. Mm-hmm. Is after our successes, so we celebrate them with Him. But we need to move forward in our journey. We need to continue to listen to Him and not make the mistake. 
of being entrenched in the success of the prior success. And once Elijah tapped into that, God gave him his purpose, and off he went. And he continued his faithful journey for the remainder of the time that he was alive. Here's an incredible story, an incredible journey of faith. There are two examples. Now, we're going to loop back to the transfiguration a little bit. Why was Elijah there? I think there are two answers to this. The first thing is that the transfiguration had God, had Moses. God is obviously, he represents God. Moses represents the law. When we take a step back and look, there's a third dimension to what we receive as Christians. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. Father is God, Moses represented the law, and Elijah the prophet represented the inheritance of the Holy Spirit, transition <coughs> to the Holy Spirit. Because he was a prophet, he was the connector of God. And from the reading that I've done, that trilogy needed to be completed in the transfiguration. God's always there. Moses then became Jesus. The laws became the new covenant. And the prophet, the prophecy, then became the inheritance of the Holy Spirit to the people. That's why I think a prophet might have been there. This is totally interpretive. Keep in mind. If you Google why Elijah was at the Transfiguration, you are going down a rabbit hole you do not want to go down. <laughs> there are plenty of interpretations of it. And I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to research it. So where does this lead us? What can we learn from these people? As we wrap this up, there are a couple of things that I think we should take away from our journey of the heroes of faith. First thing we need to understand is they're all broken. These people have been celebrated for such a long time. But we need to remember that they're broken. In a society where we value heroes as being perfect, there's this obsession with people that just because they're good at something means they're good at absolutely everything. Celebrities are a good example. Football stars are a good example. We're all a good example. We're all good at something, but we suck at a lot of things. We do. And that's, that's the same with our people. I mean, if we capture what we've looked at over the last multiple weeks, we have Solomon, Solomon who essentially practiced polygamy. We have Esther, who was struck down by fear to a point where she was unproductive. We have Elijah, who was crippled with depression. We have Moses, who lacked faith in God's decision for him. We have David, who struggled with adultery. And we have Noah, who was an ordinary man to build a boat. comes down to pedigree, or lack thereof. None of these people had pedigree. None of these people were born into this opportunity. 
without fails. And massive, massive fails. So if you're at a point where you're not sure if you have a pedigree to be a Christian, or a pedigree to do great things in the name of God, or do great things in the name of Christ, forget that. It's garbage. God uses you at your starting point. He meets you where you are. He he met these people where they were. And that's a very cool thing about Elijah. Is that James reminds us, in the book of James, James reminds us that Elijah is just like you. You or I. Me or you. That's where he started. So, as a takeaway, as we finish this up, remember that they're all broken. Remember that we're all broken. And remember that God uses us where we are as a starting point. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you have the potential to be brilliant, awesome, incredibly productive, whatever it is. Or you have the potential to just be normal in God's life. Because God will use you if you get out of the way. There's a closing point. You have an agenda for your life. I have an agenda. I had an agenda for mine. My agenda stops God from doing his agenda. Which is the first thing. If you have an agenda, you're not listening to God. But once you pray and get out of the way, say to God, use me, just like you use the prophets, just like you use the kings, just like you use the judges, use me, I'll get out of the way, I'm ready, he can then do his work. He can then give you his agenda. And you'll know when it's his agenda, because it probably will look nothing like you thought it would, but it will be even better than you ever imagined. It's close to Lord, thank you for this time today. Thank you for this opportunity. It's a privilege that it's been to be able to communicate a lot with the people of grace. Um, I'd like to, to, to raise the people that are close to the flooding down this river right now. Um, be with them as they, they work through the mess that might be the flood as it continues to rise. Um, and I pray that all the people here today that have heard this message and the people on Facebook Live take it and, and meditate on it and, and do more research on Elijah and do more research on the transfiguration and implement it in their lives. I pray that, that they, they pray and get out of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.